Honestly, the biggest thing in storytelling, regardless of the medium, is just listening to your own curiosity and listening to your own boredom. Actually, that's probably even more important. Like, where are you compelled? Where are you losing interest? And like, let that guide you. Okay, y'all, I am super excited for this episode's guest, Simone Pawnen. She's a writer, film and audio maker based in the one and only Brooklyn, New York. Today, I chat with my former co-worker and host of Spotify and Gimlet Media's Not Past It about her super thorough podcasting career, musings on storytelling, and one of this year's breakout films. You guessed it, everything, everywhere, all at once. Take the next few minutes to get acquainted with Simone and dive into our conversation. I'm Elise Ellis, your host, and this is A Few Minutes, a podcast full of very short, very Black, and very creative conversations with Black entrepreneurs about their career journeys, outlook on art, style, music, media, and more. From Black DJs to designers, I hope the next uh, 30 minutes inspire your journey and leave you ready to flex your creative muscle. Now here's Simone and I. You're from the Bay Area, but currently based in New York. And, you know, many creatives across like disciplines flock to and reside up and down the city. What brought you to New York and then what keeps you there? Before coming to New York, there were like, I don't know, I had an idea of it in my head as like, if I wanted to do something creative with my career, like that's where I needed to go make it happen. Um, as a kid, like, you know, you like see New York in the movies and you're like, oh, like City of Big Lights, like that's where it is. Um, but then when it actually came time to like pick a, a place to move to after college, um, I actually first like went uh, totally like uh, out of left field, decided to move to Seoul, South Korea, because um, I was like, I want to get as far away from the States as possible, like do something totally different. Um, and then after being, you know, so far away from home for a year, I was thinking like, what is it that I want um, from my next, uh, you know, from the next place that I'm living in? And for me at the time, I was like, I just want to be close to my friends. Um, I just I had been so far away from them. And I was like, I just want to be with people that like I love and that I know. And at that time, um, I had a lot of friends who had just moved to New York. So I was like, great, that's that's where I'm going to go. So, you know, I think like there was a part of me that was like, I know I want to do something creative. Um I know New York is a place where I can make that happen. But truthfully, I feel like I came because I was like, <laughs> this is this is where all my friends are. Um, and then I stayed here. I started um, I got an internship in podcasting a few months after moving to the city. Um, you know, I was like I came and like started tutoring immediately and was like applying to different jobs and trying to find a way in and looking at, you know, all kinds of jobs in in film and TV and podcasting. Um, and I just happened to land at Gimlet Media at a time when it was growing really quickly. Um, and I think I was very lucky in the timing that I landed there because I ended up working there for two and a half years um, and worked with them since. I'm, you know, working with them again now. Um, so I feel like I I happened to like find uh, a place and an industry that like was really compelling to me and and a, a place where um, I was able to grow, um, and I feel like that's the thing that's that's kept me here probably is that um, yeah this is I like this is where the beginnings of my career began I guess um, and yeah. <laughs> Uh, trying to think of like a more satisfying conclusion, but it's pretty much like I moved here because my friends with, were here and I stayed here because my work was here. Like, yeah, that's that's the basic basics of it. I'm curious, like, what, why did you want to move to Seoul? And then what were you doing for your year there? At the time when, like, right before I graduated, 
Um, a lot of my friends were either like applying to grad schools or a lot of them were like getting recruited to these like big companies or like consulting firms or just these like pretty like traditionally corporate spaces. And like the thought of that was just like it was like nothing uh, I respect everyone's choices, but nothing was like could be like more uh, like dreadful for me at that age, at age, you know, Simone, age 22. And I was like, I know I want to do something creative, like film, storytelling, media. Um, I have no idea how to make that happen. So let me like take a beat and do something like totally sort of uh, like out of line with what I would usually choose. And let me just like pick something like risky and different and like have a different life experience. I had a couple friends who were going to be in Seoul for, you know, various fellowships. Um, and so uh, I thought, why don't I see if there's something I can do over there? Um, turns out there is a very robust infrastructure for bringing uh, English-speaking foreigners into Korea to teach English as a second language. So uh, that's what I did. I went to Korea. I taught English uh, to adults, um, people who like needed to improve their English for work, people who were applying to master's programs and PhD programs in the States and in the UK. Um, and it was like one of the best years of my life. Uh, Seoul is so fun. I got to explore, you know, various parts of Korea. I got to meet a lot of people and like learn a lot about their lives. Um, yeah, it was like, I don't know. It was it was a decision I did not think through that much, to be honest. And it ended up being very rewarding. And I think having that separation, too, also helped me like really mm, return to the States with a new focus, like a real strong desire to like, okay, I don't know exactly how I'm going to make this creative career happen, but like I'm committed to figuring it out. And like after a year living in a foreign country, you I, I felt very like empowered to like, oh, I could like literally do anything. <laughs> literally, I truly, truly believe that. I was like, if I could do this, I can pretty much do anything. Um, so call it confidence, call it being delusional. I don't know, but whatever it was, it definitely like fueled me to come to a place like New York, which can be very overwhelming and like is difficult to navigate. Um, so I think, you know, unintentionally that year in Seoul prepared me to like take on uh, a lot of challenges since. So backtracking a bit, the interwebs say that you were a theater kid in high school what lessons did you learn from those productions and how does that like inform your work now? I want to chime in and provide some context before my next question. I did some digging on Simone and found an article from Palo Alto Online on a young Harvard-bound Simone that detailed her theater background. So naturally, I had to dive deeper into her past life as a theater kid. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Yes, I was uh, really into theater when I was younger. Um, honestly, still I am into theater, though I have not performed uh, in that medium recently. Um, I mean, honestly, like, I don't know that, that I just like I just loved performing as a kid, like loved being on stage, um, like took any opportunity I could get to be in a production. Um, and I think it just like, I don't know, I think like that perform like love of performing is something that I carry into my job now hosting a podcast like we get theatrical, we get silly. I like, you know, I like to play around with the theatricality of storytelling. Um, it's just like, I don't know, like, Oh, this might sound a little bit dramatic, but like, I, I, I truly feel this way. Like, it's a language I feel like that I understand and that like, I feel is like the best way to express the thing that's happening inside of me is that like, that performance, that drama, you know, that storytelling. It's how like, I understand the world better. Um, it's how I like to communicate. 
um, yeah, and I think theater nurtured a lot of that for sure. I like how you talked about, I would say, like storytelling as like a language. I think sometimes podcasting is sold as this like super, um, it has like a low barrier to entry. Anyone can do it. But what do you think are some of like the misconceptions people have about podcasting, especially like getting into podcasting and then like making one, whether it's from a production standpoint or being a host? Yeah, well, I definitely think people underestimate the work that goes into making a podcast. Um, If you compare it to something like, you know, filmmaking or live performance, the production elements are definitely more pared down. Um, and so I guess the, you know, there's a lower barrier to entry in that way. Um, but editorially, like, you know, all the same considerations still apply. Um, and if anything, like, you know, you have to think about the way you're telling a story in a different way because you don't have, you know, the option of visuals to lean on. Um, you know, so like you have to ask yourself questions like, is the listener going to like remember this thing that I said five minutes ago because they're not going to have like a visual cue to remind them that that's that same person that's talking or, you know, um, you have to think about like the attention span of the listener and like how, how like much more engaging you have to be when like the only tool you have uh, at your disposal is audio. Um, So, you know, in those ways, I think they're still like, you know, interesting and complex editorial challenges when it comes to audio storytelling. I guess in terms of audio storytelling, what podcast do you listen to religiously and like why do they stand out to you? The podcast I listen to, uh, which I actually think is pretty common for people who work in narrative, uh, like I love like chat shows. I love like when it's like two friends talking to each other um, and like you know, if they're charismatic enough, like I kind of don't care what they're talking about, but like, oh, my, like I like don't miss an episode of Last Culturalistas, uh, Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers. I'm like fully like they are my best friends in my head. Like if I meet them, I'm sorry in advance. Um, I love the read so much. Uh, like have been listening to them for years. Blessings to Kid Fury right yes, now. Tr- yeah, Blessings truly. Like, Yeah. Um, proud of you for taking the space you need and normalizing that. Um, I listen to uh, Who Weekly a lot with um, uh, Lindsay Weber and Bobby Finger. Um, I listen to obviously Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings, our former co-workers uh, on Now for Colored Nerds, formerly The Nod. Shout out to Shout them. out. I mentioned in the intro that Simone and I are former co-workers. We both worked on the glorious but short-lived Quibi show, The Nod, hosted by Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. And when I say short-lived, I mean it. Quibi shut down less than 90 days after I started work. Before that, The Nod was a Gimlet podcast that Simone also worked on. But back to our conversation. They're, you know, they're Who Weekly and um, for Colored Nerds, that's maybe on the more produced side, but um, like, you know, I don't know. Yes. But like generally, like I'm drawn to uh, chemistry. I'm drawn to to, to charisma Um, and culture, pop culture. That's what I want to be listening to. Yeah. I think earlier when I was talking about, quote unquote, people thinking podcast is easy or podcasting is easy, I was really thinking about chat shows and how many of them there are outside of that charisma and chemistry what do you think makes a good chat show oh yeah well uh a good editor honestly like a good editor I mean everyone needs a good editor yeah it takes a good editor to like make a conversation still feel casual and natural and like stumbly in all the normal ways but still feel like tight and engaging and like it's moving from like point A to point B to point C, um, you know, it feels like they're just sitting down and talking about whatever's coming off the top of their head. But there is likely like a pretty robust outline. Uh, there's likely somebody nudging them to go on to the next topic. Uh, and there's likely somebody on the back end who's like cutting out all of the uh, irrelevant tangents and, you know, uh 
all of the excess to deliver like what feels like like a natural casual conversation. So there's a lot of production and sounding uh, off the cuff. I'll say that. So you've worked on a lot of podcasts as a producer, you know, as you said before, Reply All, Startup, On Second Thought with Trevor Noah. What productions do you think challenge you the most as a producer and why? I feel like I learn so much on every project that I work on, like each new story, um, I don't know, presents like, you know, its own unique challenges. But when I think like, especially like earlier in my career, one of the first um, like long form narrative pieces I worked on was for Startup. Um, we did a season about the founder of American Apparel. Um, and that was a really big story because it spanned um, it spanned quite a bit of time. It involved quite a bit of people. Um, and it was a mix of like sort of complex uh, financial and business dealings. Um, you know, there were like labor issues, uh, but also, a, I mean, a big part of American Peril's legacy is, the you know, the sexual assault allegations, um, you know, lodged at the founder. So that's a lot of that's a lot of elements of a story. Um from a purely, you know, just producer standpoint, um, you know, it's interesting to try to build a narrative with all of these different elements that are intersecting, that are complicated. Um, but then as a person, I mean, it was also just like really difficult material to sit with, you know, and like those, I'm not even the person that was experiencing those things. Um, and that, you know, I think was a challenge, um, I mean, professionally and emotionally, because, you know, you want to consider your sources, you want to be responsible to them, um, you want to tell a story responsibly um, and as accurately as possible, um, you know, uh, you have to, like, balance a lot of different interests, Um and also, ultimately, like, you want to put together a piece that is also creatively satisfying. So there's a lot of, like, uh, there's a lot of different interests to consider. Um, and it's very delicate. And I think it was, like, you know, I was more junior at that point, And I got to work with reporters and producers uh, and watch them navigate all of that. Um, and, you know, the, the stakes were definitely much higher for them, um, you know, their voices were attached to the piece, uh, and you know the there was sort of mixed uh, mixed feedback on it. So I mean, you know, difficult at the time, but in hindsight, I feel like I learned a lot of um, lessons about journalism and about storytelling. Um, and then another another piece I feel like I learned a lot from was uh, my first personal piece, which I actually did with uh, the Nod uh, podcast. Um, Brittany was my editor on that one, actually. Um, it's like one of my favorite memories. Uh, I ended up doing a very personal story about my family and about my sister and sort of our relationship. And uh, in the middle of it, like the whole time I was like, oh, my God, do I want to publish this? Like, this is very vulnerable, not just for me, but for my sister. And I was feeling very protective of her. and. Um, you know, working with Brittany, she was able to sort of help me navigate all of these different emotional considerations. Um, and ultimately, I think, like, craft a very strong version of that story that still felt fair to everyone um, and still felt vulnerable and honest. Um, and that was emotionally taxing. But I think it was such a good lesson in personal storytelling. And it, it was a good lesson in me, too, to, like, navigate my own boundaries and understand better how much of myself I'm willing to share, uh, what I feel protective of, what I'm not willing to share. And I think that's also, like, a pretty important lesson um, as a creative, particularly if you want to tell stories about yourself. But I also think if you're telling stories about other people, you know, it helps you um, consider the boundaries of the people that you're working with too, I think in a new, in a new light, it makes it so much more personal. Um, and I feel like 
it's helped me be especially attuned uh, to that and to, you know, how much people really are giving of themselves when they're sharing, sharing their stories with you. It's not a not a small thing. Okay, so if you want to listen to the episode of The Nod Simone mentions, it's called Sister Sister. And you can check out season four of Startup on American Apparel's former CEO. Simone is currently the host of Not Past It, an original podcast from Spotify and Gimlet Media. The show explores how history shapes the world we live in today. And I highly, I'll say this again, I highly recommend the episode titled Beefcakes and Bulges on the illustrious Playgirl magazine. Right now, you're the host of a history podcast. And from my understanding, Startup was also pretty reported. Do you lean towards like wanting to work on reported productions? Or I guess, what are your favorite types of like shows to work on in general? Yeah, you know, it's been really cool with Not Past It because um, I was able to help shape the show from the beginning. And so I feel like um, we've landed in this like interesting space where we're balancing reported storytelling with a lot of personal narrative and uh, personal opinion. Um, and so I feel like, you know, we kind of get to dabble in both a little bit because you know, I think on the side of reported storytelling, what's interesting is the discovery and the sort of you're able to deepen your understanding of the world around you. Um, and then with the personal angle, um, like that's the stuff that I like to listen to as when, you know, people bring themselves into the world that they're exploring. And um, I don't know, I hope that it gives the audience like a different endpoint into material that, you know, in a different context might feel distant, you know, history, it can sometimes be difficult for it to feel up close, it can feel very far away. Um, and with personal narrative, I feel like we're kind of able to like recontextualize that um, and recontextualize history as very personal, um, which for me, at least, like for me, that's helped like totally reshape my understanding of the world and of you know, events that have happened, you know, before my time um, and reframe those moments as like very personal moments. Uh, it, it seems maybe obvious, but like um, really engaging with history through this personal lens, I think has really like solidified that in my mind. I was describing to a friend when I told them I was going to interview you, like what not past it was because I knew they weren't going to listen to it. And I think like a lot of history podcasts are written off as like bland. But when I was telling her about it, I obviously I told her the gist of the podcast, but I said, it's like, you're a well-traveled quirky cousin who kind of knows everything. Um, how do you think the show stands out among other history or narrative nonfiction podcasts? What do you think like really makes it like fun and engaging? Yeah, I love that description, by the way. That's great. Um, man, I mean, honestly, like I get bored very easily and I, uh, uh, am somebody who likes to be entertained, not at the expense of substance, but Hey, if I'm here to learn stuff, might as well make it interesting and engaging. Right. So that's the place that I'm coming from. Um, what I think sets not past it apart is like, I think we have a very like cinematic style of storytelling. Um, you know, we like to dive into scenes from history like we're actually there. We like to have a sense of like, what did it sound like? What did it look like? What did it feel like? Um, and then again, like we try to make it feel personal and connect these events from the past to the present to help us understand how history is like very much present, very much shapes the world that we live in today. Um, and and I think we tell the stories in a way that also help them stick in your mind, you know, like for me, humor is very important. Like humor is how I engage with the world. It helps soften the blow of reality for me. And so I like to use that lens to look at history. Um, yeah, I think we just, we like to, we like to go for what is interesting to us. And so I hope that translates to the audience. 
Recently, you guys did an episode pretty recently on Roe v. Wade and this abortion conference that um, went on pre-Roe v. Wade. Was that episode like difficult to make? Just tell me about the process of bringing that together, especially in the context of what's going on now. Yeah. So, you know, even though we make a history show, we really want the show to feel relevant to the moment that we're in, uh, whether that's culturally relevant or, you know, relevant to current events um, and, you know, the, the sort of news that's unfolding before people's eyes. And so we knew that this was going to be an issue that was coming up on the Supreme Court's docket this summer. And so, you know, we were kind of we were thinking about how can history help us understand this moment better? How can history um, like shed some light, shed some understanding on like what might happen Um And one of our producers found this book that was basically a transcript of a conference that happened pre-Roe v. Wade in the 50s um, of a bunch of doctors discussing abortion. Um, And it ended up being like a pretty interesting lens into how the medical field uh, was dealing with abortion, you know, prior to it being legalized federally. Um, And for me, like understanding that in some ways it was like, well, obviously concerning because you're like, okay, these doctors are describing like the harrowing lengths that uh, people are going to to terminate their pregnancies and how much danger they're putting themselves in, uh, you know, because they can't get access to safe reproductive care. And the reality that we could be returning to something like that, you know, it's obviously very concerning. Uh, It's very scary. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I'm like trying to find a silver lining and it's very difficult to. So I don't know that that's exactly what the history provides necessarily, but maybe it provides like, I don't know, a solidarity of sorts of like, People have gone through this before. They've endured through this before, you know. I was going to say the same the same thing. I listened to it like when it originally came out and then in preparation for this episode. And I was thinking about how sometimes I hate saying like, oh, looking at this from the past provides hope for the future because I don't necessarily think that's true. But I feel like it makes things things seem less bleak because there's always been like continued interest and care into making sure all birthing people have access to abortion. It's really, um, it's like really, really scary. Um, yeah, it's really fucked up. It's really fucked up. I'm not going to lie. That was some pretty heavy stuff. If you want to listen to the not past it episode on Mary Calderon, who assembled a group of doctors, public health experts and psychologists for a landmark conference on abortion pre-Roe v. Wade. It's called You're Killing Women. And if you'd like to support abortion access in a post-Roe America, find your local abortion fund at abortionfunds.org slash funds. In my next question, I try to lighten the mood, and I asked Simone about why she started her newsletter, Highbrow Lowbrow, where she recommends and reviews everything from K-pop girl groups and art house films to Disney originals, which we'll definitely get into later. Okay, hopefully this will lift our spirits. Why did you start Highbrow Lowbrow? Tell us what it is, but I'm just like so curious, what made you want to start a newsletter? Yeah, oh, thank you. Highbrow and my, (laughs) Highbrow Lowbrow is like my pride and joy. Um, And it was truly like a spontaneous thing. So, okay. Uh, This is maybe more information than you want, but I'll give it to you anyways. So uh, my mindset, just put you in my mindset, uh, right before I started the newsletter, I had um, just gone freelance. I left my 
uh, you know, full-time job with benefits, went freelance because I wanted more flexibility. I wanted to work on a bunch of personal projects, whatever. Uh, quickly found out uh, that lifestyle was not for me. Uh, I struggle with procrastination. Turns out a uh, lack of structure does not help that. Um, I was struggling. I was like really struggling to get stuff done. I was looking for a way to build uh, more structure and also just like wanting more joy. I was like not really in touch with joy at that point in my life and was wanting to cultivate that more. Um, something that is a constant in my life is my love of movies, of pop culture, of music. Uh, I just that like if there's one thing I can rely on is that I will have an appetite for that. And so I was like, OK, is there something that I can do that like can give me some structure, can cultivate some joy and can, uh, you know, lean on this like reliable love for culture? Um I saw on Twitter, like, people had started on this platform called Substack, and I was like, cool. And without really thinking through uh, the commitment that I was about to take on, I just, like, tweeted, like, hey, got to start a newsletter, like, blah, 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 starts tomorrow, bloop, 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 like, tweet. Um, and then I was like, oh, okay, I got to deliver on this promise now. Um, and I just started writing it, and I was like, you know what? I don't have much else going on. I'll just try to commit to a weekly basis. And it literally doesn't even have to be good. You literally don't even need to like proofread it because like nobody's going to read it anyways. Just do something like once a week. Like this will give you some structure. This will be something fun. So I start it, you know, it's like whatever, like 15, 20 of my friends. Um, I'm acting reckless, like really writing in a voice that is so different from like everything that I had written professionally up to that point. It's like super casual, super, it's like whatever. It's like rude. I'm like swearing. It's like not, it's like fun. It's like not serious. It's fun. And I'm like having fun writing it. And I somehow happen to do this every week. And uh, the whole I should have said this earlier, but the whole conceit of the newsletter is that I recommend two pieces of culture at the time every week, one highbrow, one lowbrow, because my philosophy is there is no distinction between the two. There is only what you love. You know, there are only different schools of aesthetics. Uh, no art is superior or inferior. Uh, you know, we celebrate it all. So that's the philosophy. So I'm living in that world. Uh, and, you know, all of a sudden, me, who was like not barely able to like get any work done, I'm like doing this thing on a weekly basis and it starts to grow slowly. And like after a while, like friends start sharing it more with friends and more people start hearing about it. And like the readership starts to grow. And I'm like, oh, people are actually like consistently reading this. Um and it just sort of grew from there. And uh, eventually, like, you know, I mean, it's like people, I, I, I think it's part of the reason I think why I ended up hosting Not Past It. Um, Zach, the executive producer of the podcast, um, he read the newsletter and um, we had sort of known each other before working at Gimlet, but he got to get a better sense of of my voice because that wasn't really something I had shared with the world prior to that. Um, and, you know, I think uh, it, it led me to where I am now. So I'm very, very thankful that I like had that spontaneous thought in that like, uh, you know, depressive moment uh, three years ago or whatever. But um, that is, that's what happened. That's what happened. Yeah. I think one of my favorite issues is when you recommend Ashley Tisdale as lowbrow and, of course, all the other Disney pop princesses. Keeping on the Disney theme, what Disney movie do you see as highbrow? And then what Disney movie do you see as lowbrow? These can be originals, something recent re recently released. Mm. You have, like, the whole Disney catalog. 
Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Like Disney movies that I like that, that is highbrow yes. or like, okay. What is like, okay. What is the most, that is such a good question. What is the most highbrow Disney? Because immediately what I think of are like the, you know, the sort of classic animated, like, you know, the Lion King, um, like Oscar nominated, you know what I mean? Like recognized yeah. by the establishment. Um, oh my God, freaking Tarzan with freaking Phil Collins. Are you kidding me? Like the that's soundtrack culture. <laughs> yeah, that's highbrow. That's high culture. Um, lowbrow. Um, okay, the first the first thing that popped into my head was Cadet Kelly. Uh, the Disney Channel uh, original movie. Honestly, the whole decom swath, that whole collection, I would count as lowbrow, but like truly some of the most beautiful work I have ever seen. Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior. Uh, get a clue. Confessions of a Teenage uh, Drama Queen. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my. I like. Ugh. We were a country back then. Like, <laughs> culture has never, like, has, we peaked. Yeah. Culture will never reach such heights, unfortunately. So, highbrow, lowbrow came to an end or a pause. <laughs> yeah, it came to a pause. Yeah. How do you know when, like, a project of yours has to kind of, like, stop or end? I think a lot of people who identify themselves as, like, creatives can really struggle with, like, ending something or struggling with being okay with not being consistent. Yeah. You know, um I honestly don't know if I made the right choice, but my thought was just um like uh, if I'm going to do this, I really want my head to be in it. I really want it to be committed to it and I really do want to deliver it on a consistent basis. Uh so, you know, when I started doing the podcast, um, that has since pretty much taken up all of my time. So it's just been like a, a scheduling thing. But um, I honestly don't know that that's the right move. Like I could like, you know, put out issues sporadically when I find the time. Um, but I don't know. I'm like kind of averse to that for some reason. And I can't tell if it's like because I have some idea of the way should be or threat or like I don't know or I don't yeah so like it's on pause because um I don't have the time to work on it consistently but um I don't I'm not necessarily recommending that like maybe it's okay to be inconsistent and just put things out when you have time I think that's totally valid too between the podcast and then working on the newsletter, how do you approach communicating your ideas, especially when there may be other media, whether an article, a podcast, a newsletter that also talks about the same things you're talking about? I think a lot of it begins with a place or a, a lot of it begins with um, honestly, just like knowing yourself and knowing your voice. Um, and that is something that like, in my experience, truly only just comes with like doing the thing over and over again, like getting your reps in, uh, doing drafts, uh, you know, putting out a bunch of stuff, uh, you know, listening to what feels right, what doesn't feel right, adapting all of that. So I think finding your voice and going through that process is, uh, pretty essential because I think once you are pretty like solidly confident in that place, um, then really you can like give the story what it needs. Um, uh, but from, from but from a place of your of your perspective, right? Which in the case of the podcast, that's I, I just want to acknowledge that's not necessarily always appropriate. Um, you know, as a journalist or whatever, to put yourself into the story. But a big part of our podcast is like it is you know, you're, we're kind of exploring history like together and I'm offering, you know, some of my personal observations and opinions on like, um, you know, stories from the past. Um, okay. Let me think about, about this. So once, once you have a strong sense of your voice, 
the then the thing you know to focus on is like honestly the biggest thing in storytelling regardless of the medium is just listening to your own curiosity and listening to your own boredom actually that's probably even more important like where are you compelled where are you losing interest and like let that guide you um you know like really highlight the moments where you're like leaning in and where you're like oh my gosh I can't stop reading about this thing or like I I need to know more like listen to that because I think that pulls you down like the most compelling uh paths and helps you pull out like the most interesting threads because generally what you're interested in your audience is probably going to be interested in too um and I think if you can combine that like listening listening to your interests, listening to your boredom with uh, an understanding of your own voice, then I think those can be your guardrails to figuring out, you know, how the story shapes out from there. I think that's really good advice. And especially what you said before I asked the question about kind of leading, knowing your own voice and leading with what interests you. I hate when I'm like, watching a show or listening to an interview and I can tell the person isn't interested in the subject. I think it can make whether the reporting or just the media in general, I don't want to say dishonest, but cause I know not all reporters report on things that are, that I don't know, make them want to get out of bed in the morning. But I think some of the best media is made when you can tell someone is really like gunning for this to be the best that it can be yeah definitely it comes through it comes through it comes through if like you're like uh i have to put this in here because of whatever like the story needs to have this information in um and like if you leave it there then like yeah i think that's going to come through to the listener and sometimes you're like damn like i have to put this information in here and uh, it's like such a drag to get through. And then that becomes an interesting creative challenge, which is like, how do I communicate this information in a way that like even I would be like interested in like continuing to listen or continuing to read or watch or whatever? Are those, or I guess, is there an episode of Not Pasted where obviously, or I don't know, you love working on the show, but you've really had to push yourself to make the reporting and the story I don't want to say more interesting than it is, but you're aware that the average listener might not find this the most compelling. Yes, I know exactly the story. So we did an episode about Enron. Enron, the Enron story is part like super compelling, you know, human drama, this like exploration of like greed and like corporate like irresponsibility. And it's also a very complicated finance story and accounting story. Um, And figuring out how to communicate that portion of the story in the most compelling way was a journey. Um, One, because like, okay, I truly am not a quantitative mind. Like I have no finance background. I needed to get to a point where I could understand the concepts enough to try to communicate it to the audience. So we tried that and it still wasn't really clicking. It still felt like I'm listening to homework, right? It felt like I was doing homework. Um, we finally, um, like not that, not that, but like far ahead of publish, um, found this uh, uh, business reporter, uh, a business journalist named Bethany McLean, um, who had actually worked on the original Enron story, um, you know, uh, back in the 90s. Um, and she just had a talent for how to break down these super complicated, uh, financial, you know, uh, goings on and, in a way to highlight the most important relevant parts and to break it down in a way that like, you know, like even a five-year-old could understand what was going on. Um, finding people who can do that is incredible. So... Pivoting to our last or my last question, I'm really curious for someone listening to this interview, 
they're, I don't know if they're going to go home or turn it off and turn on the TV or I don't know, log into Spotify. What's one like album or song you would recommend one podcast and then one, like something to watch that you would recommend that you think really reflects your taste? Ooh. Oh my God. I love this question. Okay. Okay. For song, um, the song I'm going to recommend, uh, hopefully I can pronounce this. It's in Arabic. Uh, it's by this, um, this, uh, singer named Samira Saeed, S-A-I-D. Um, the album is from, uh, 2004 called Awini Beek, A-W-E-E-N-Y-B-E-E-K. But the song I want to recommend, oh gosh, okay, again, pronunciation, Ala-E, A-L-A space E-I-H. Um, and it's just like North African early 2000s pop. And it just, it is the song that consistently makes me feel the best every time I listen to it. I just, I love it. It's, yeah. Um, so, yeah, complicated wreck, but I love it. Worth it. Go find it. Go find Samira Saeed. Um, podcast. Um, what's a podcast that I'm listening to right now that I haven't already talked about? I mean, is it? Um, can I just recommend Las Culturalistas? That's truly like I'm just fully bought into their world. Like I'm just all in on them. Oh yeah, it's so good. Like Bowen and Matt like have such an encyclopedic knowledge of these like very specific swaths of pop culture. Um, they have like the coolest guests on, and it's yeah, it's just like if you love pop culture and like. Yeah, it's just like a space to share in the love of, of these things. So big recommend for that. Um, and then movie. Um, let me see. What's a movie that I saw recently that I would recommend? Um, okay. Well, what if I do? <laughs> I'll do I'll do a highbrow, lowbrow recommend. How about that? Um because I saw everything everywhere all at once and I know everyone's talking about it I saw it twice and the second time it was like even better I don't know I just it's so it's so inventive and exciting and it feels like so like different from like anything in the movies right now uh Michelle Yeoh is so incredible um and the movie just put me in a place of thinking about like my mom especially but I think both of my parents um in like such a like striking way I, it's just it's a beautiful story told through like really exciting cinematic storytelling um they're so good yeah the effects it's like it's so exciting I don't know it's this is one of those things where I'm like oh they loved making this like you can tell they loved putting this together um my only not qualm with the movie is like on twitter and instagram when i see people talk about it i feel like they only quote that one part where it's like in another life i would really have loved to like run a laundromat and mm -hmm. do taxes with you and i just don't think that's like the most heart-wrenching part of the movie i actually enjoyed when they're like rocks on oh the my god i love that and it's scene. just silent <laughs> that scene is so good and yeah i mean for me it's like it's anytime michelle yo's character like honestly like taps into her potential which i guess is like whatever that's like literally the whole movie i'm just so i'm so moved because it speaks to like a specific type of like parent who like immigrated to the United States and like sacrificed very specific things and like I don't know it feels like a what's 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 the word it just um not redemption but it I don't know I'm just like god somebody 
I don't know. I take I took that movie very personally. And I was like, man, somebody is thinking about my mom. Somebody is thinking about my dad. Something is thinking about their experience in the world. And like that moves me. <laughs> um, and like doing it in a yeah. way that's like cool and interesting and like not, uh, you know, condescending or paternalistic, but like really inventive and creative and expansive and exploratory. Yeah. Um. So that's everything everywhere all at once. Okay, the second movie I want to recommend, I watched on the airplane. It is not a recent movie. It is full of misogynistic tropes, but it like satisfied me in a way that like those like mid 2000s rom-coms just like I just really scratched that itch. The movie is The Women. The cast is Meg Ryan, Eva Mendez, uh um oh what's her name oh shit hold on give me a second um uh sorry oh not the 19th i guess it's a remake of a 1930s movie oh okay so okay meg ryan eva mendez um annette benning uh jada pickett smith deborah messing bet midler carrie fisher Cloris Leachman, Candace Bergen. It's like. <laughs> I have never heard of this movie, but based on the cast, I'm, I will 100% be watching it tonight. You have to. And it's <laughs> everybody absolutely fully buying into this. Like, I'm pretty sure I think it's a Nancy Myers movie. It's like, uh, oh, no, it's not. OK, strike that from the record. <laughs> the script is so funny. Again, full of misogynistic tropes, but like. If you can get past that, I really think it'll be a satisfying uh, movie watching experience. I'm excited. Oh, Lynn Whitfield. Sorry. Lynn Whitfield. Oh, my goodness. In she's too. in it? I'm e- yeah, for a brief moment, but she is. I'm like looking at like screen grabs on Google and I'm actually excited for any moment where Meg Ryan is in a wig. Like it's so subtle. <laughs> it's really it's really great too because um her character goes through an emotional transformation in the film um and you know that because she starts with curly hair and she ends with straight (laughs) hair um and so that's how they signify Uh, my favorite but least favorite trope (laughs) yeah well that's womanhood so you know well thank you so much for spending this hour with me i did not think we would go an hour this has been like my favorite interview so far That's a wrap, y'all. I'm your host and producer, Elise Ellis. Our sound designer is Twee McCallum. And shout out to Aaron Monaghan for our intro and outro mix. Thank you so much for listening and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at A Few Minutes Pod.